There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Welcome to Switched On Pop. I'm songwriter Charlie Harding. We've been doing a lot of throwback on the show. Classical series on Beethoven. We've been diving into country music. But I feel like we've been missing out on something that we love to do, which is looking at what's happening on the charts and seeing what's new. So I thought it'd be fun to do a chart-topping weather report. Do a breezy look through what's happening in music. And Nate is out today. But I'm delighted to introduce to you as my co-host, friend of the pod, writer, critic, and professor, Lauren Michelle Jackson. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. <laughs> oh, so great. Okay, so we have set out the rules of today is that each of us have picked three songs that are either topping the charts or are significant new releases. And you have picked three songs. I have picked three songs. Our goal is to figure out what do they tell us about where we are at musically and maybe more broadly as well. Do you want to lead us off? Yeah. So first off, we have Wonder, the single by Shawn Mendes. I think this really kicks off what is called the, we could call the wonder era um, of Shawn Mendes. This is him moving <laughs> into his introspective phase. And um, I mean, I'm kidding a little bit, but I, I do think that as much as this song is sort of a ballad and isn't really a huge vocal departure for him, yeah. the lyrics do sort of sound more interior than usual. And so like in contrast to other songs and other singles he's done where there seems to be a really clear sort of second person in play, this one's more on that I voice and asking rhetorical questions and being open. Right before I close my eyes, the only thing that's on my mind been and there's a video with it where he's running through the forest and getting splashed on by waves and doing all the sort of like <laughs> pop music-y theatrics that, you know, I personally enjoy, even if it's a little silly. I tend to agree. I mean, I love the over-the-top epicness of this song. It's one of those like slow builder ballads that... He is just such a master of. Starts off really quiet. Get just his voice. And then it's like the world is opening. He's running through the forest. The rain is starting to come down. And then like... this big bombastic drumming and 
he's shouting out over the ocean. I feel like there's something really meaningful about the confessional yearning nature of this song that provides an emotional catharsis that I feel like it stretches my own emotive capacity in a time when I've been entirely hermit-like at home and sort of feel really constrained. It's a real relief from that. It's a really good, like, I think, like, shower song, car song. Um, (laughs) And I think, you know, these are really important things in this time right now. I think another musical moment for me that really captures that is the when we finally get to sort of like the end of the song, we have these wild drum fills that are just going like... And underneath it, these heavy, heavy, heavy sub bass notes. Where the beginning might feel, yeah, a little tame. We get the full emotive capacity um, throughout the arc of the song, and it's such a such a fun one to bring to uh, to the show. Okay, let's keep on moving. So I've picked the song "Underdog" by Alicia Keys. Alicia Keys has a new record called Alicia. Uh, there's actually a lot I really like on this album. There's some beautiful songs, great production. Like there's there's songs that came in where I was like, ooh, immediately my ear is just like, I'm listening. There's a three-hour drive with Sampha. Also, Me Time Seven with T.R. Wack. There's some really lovely songs here. But that brings us to the single Underdog. This song is her most successful song since 2012's Girl on Fire. It's got a lot of co-writers, including Ed Sheeran, of all folks. And I think we actually hear a lot of his influence. And it's trying to speak to issues of inequality, sending love out to essential workers in the pandemic. And the song even has a sort of campfire sing-along type feel. We're supposed to use this as an anthem for overcoming and celebrating underdogs. Like, I appreciate the attempt here. And I know that Alicia Keys started out herself as an underdog and I think works hard to stay connected with that. And yet, I feel like despite the great intentions, this really feels like a song of a celebrity who's failing to see the power dynamics at play in their track. It feels like a sort of corporate empowerment anthem and it has some issues with power. I, I The... The literary devices that she uses, I think, are quite problematic. In the first verse, we have a homeless person without a name. She was walking in the street, looked up and noticed he was nameless, he was homeless. She asked him his name and told him what hers was. He gave her a story about life. And the narrator speaks to this homeless person and is inspired by their story. And then we lose that character and instead in the second verse go to a taxi cab driver from another country. She's riding in a taxi back to the kitchen Talking to the driver about his wife and his children On a run from a country where they put you in prison For being a woman and speaking your mind And here the narrator decides to talk to their 
taxi cab driver and learns all about their the challenges they've overcome in their life. And I think that those are both a view from privilege and not a view from actually being the underdog. No, I completely agree. It feels very much like a sort of anthem that I felt like we passed by in the last moment of us trying to like come together as a country and like elect somebody for like the highest office. It like, it felt like very 2015, 2016. And I felt like we kind of learned from the, what's the Katy Perry song? The like roar of it all. Like the, like that kind of version of like a rousing song. Yeah. And I think we're like really in a moment where people are noticing a profound misreading on behalf of a lot of celebrities who are like trying to do the good thing right now. And it's like, do the people want a rousing anthem or do they want a jam or like something they can dance to or something they can nod their head to or something they can think to or right i just i always just like kind of wonder what who these kinds of anthems are for especially in a moment where we're not like gathering together in like a stadium i mean i think a great counter example would be like anderson pox lockdown you should have been downtown the people are rising we thought it was a lockdown they opened the fire He's like, you should have been downtown, like the people were rising. Like he's really describing the marches as they're happening, releasing a song that is of that moment. And it feels like he's there telling that story as a participant. Feels really different than, yeah, like the view from above or like the view from the stage at the stadium where let me tell you how other people are feeling in a way that just... Again, it's just it it's so it's in the subtleties, but it doesn't work. And I, I, I have to say I have I have another another gripe, which is that the final line in the chorus Let's go up to the underdog. Keep on keeping it what you love and you'll find that someday soon enough you will rise up, rise up, yeah. This goes out to the underdog. Keep on keeping at what you love. You'll find that someday soon. You'll rise up, rise up, yeah. And this feels like a message which is in so much contemporary popular music. This is not unique here to this song. It's a, I think it's an issue that we're all grappling with, which is like the way in which we have absorbed neoliberal ideology so deeply that like the only way for us to succeed is to be the underdog and to pull ourselves up through our own bootstraps and it's funny, though, because this, this, this moment here sounds a lot like another song that I think offers perhaps another reading of the same idea. All right, Hamilton, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> that's, so that's, that's my shot from Hamilton, one of the most successful songs off the record. And when we hear underdog, it feels like really similar. Wow. No, that's like exactly. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Even the like rise up, like <laughs> very like yeah, very little text painting, <laughs> moving up. With the, yeah, absolutely. It's very it's it's very Broadway, and I guess this is why I'm thinking like 
I like the idea that we could maybe think about it from the Hamilton perspective, which is like rising up isn't spontaneously through your own work, through your own individual effort, becoming the star you've always wanted to be that breaks the mold, but rather the collective rising up. And I think that I don't mean to say that that's not in the song, but I think it's another way like it reclaims the song a little bit if we think about it from that perspective. And again, I like I celebrate the effort. It's important that we're trying to look at these issues. I'm glad that pop music is trying to think about issues of inequality, but I think we need to make sure that we do so in inclusive ways that doesn't tokenize people. And and all that said, like the rest of the album, it's beautiful. Go and listen to it. It's great. It's work worth engaging with. And I, I appreciate sort of thinking critically about what what celebrities are trying to do and why the view from the top might not always be the view that the people need. Well said. So... Maybe on a more upbeat note, you've brought a really fun song. Yeah. So my next song is, it's not a new, new song, but it is on the charts. And it's Dua Lipa's Break My Heart, which is a song I can, I'll already admit my bias, I love. But I think what's interesting about the life of this song is that it was released as a single during those sort of early lost, like staggered weeks of quarantine and it was the single that I think more than anything made Dua like the front runner for this like impromptu title of quarantine queen because you know the lyrics are all about you know warring internally between the safety of like staying in with the risks of uh, going out. I should have stayed The song is about, you know, mostly about emotional safety, right? And about heartbreak or potential heartbreak. When it came out, it just felt so timely um, in terms of the sort of shared risk of, you know, not only not going out or the shared risk of going out, but um, going out in the way that like disco is made for, you know, getting close and being with your friends and rubbing up on people and breathing on each other and all that Mm. jazz. And in a moment when we can't do that, you know, the lyrics just felt so poignant and very, like, home disco. And then, of course, there's, uh, you know, that interpolation from In Excess, which is, like, the most attention-grabbing thing, I think. Wait, I don't know this. I totally missed it. What is it? In Break My Heart? Yeah, well, I Do- totally missed this. What is it? I should have stayed at home Cause I was doing better alone But when you said hello I knew there was the end of it all it's the guitar line (laughs) whoa that is a great reference and i also love how the song borrows so much of nxs's production like it's got the disco funk which nxs has too but it also has like sort of like prince 80s style percussion oh i love that it's a banger. I think the song, more than anything, kind of means that we're more or less still listening to a lot of the same or rediscovering a lot of the same albums mm. that have been coming out within the past couple months because there's time to and there's room to and still thinking with future nostalgia, which, I mean, I sure am. I still play that album a lot. Oh, yeah. It's on our I mean, this is one that I feel like we are willing to look at some of the hard things of what's going on in the world right now as long as it's like 
caked in some disco fun and I don't have to look at it too closely and I can dance along. Yet the song does use its core message in some really creative musical ways. And there was one that I wanted to point to that I was listening to this while driving down the highway yesterday and I almost had to be like, oh my God, I have to pull off and like listen to this thing because it's so brilliantly produced. How would you describe her voice in that moment? Transcendent. Is that a totally. right? Is that the right answer? No. <laughs> Doesn't it feel like it's in a sanctuary? Like the voice is cavernous. It's enormous. This is that moment that I think, as you're pointing to, is like this feels like in a dance club kind of moment. She's saying on the center of attention, all of the world is sort of like starting to focus in around. Like it feels like the lights are bright. She's speaking about it's in you, in my reflection. Her voices are reflecting around the room. It's you with my reflection. I'm afraid of all the it feels like Dua is all around us. And then... I would have stayed at home. It gets like real quiet or like whispery or just like it's very like local. Exactly. It's totally narrow. All of that reverb that we had earlier, all that sanctuary cavernous sound. Gone. And I would have stayed at home. I would have been alone. It becomes interior. I would have stayed at home. Cause I was doing better alone. But when you said hello, I knew there was the end of it all. So even the way that the song is produced, I think, creates that feeling of expansiveness. Like I'm going out and then like actually no no no. In the chorus, like it's just me. I'm here dancing by myself. Yeah. And I think like the song is a whole balancing those two scales. Like, it really does, like, replicate the kind of, like, ambivalence of, like, do I go out or not? Or, like, do I regret going out, you know, sort of Mm. while you're even in the experience? It's, like, do I, was this the right choice? And thinking of, like, Mm. all the counterfactuals. I think you said it just right. That's why this song has persisted for so long, because we are still living in exactly that question. There are many more questions about where we're at that we need to explore, where we're at musically, societally. And we're going to do so in the second half of our episode. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Calling all female runners, it's time to lace up and join Team Milk. Since the 2022 New York City Marathon, Team Milk has sponsored female marathon runners nationwide, providing support and shining a spotlight on their unique stories, perseverance, and drive to go the distance. Why milk? Dairy milk is an excellent nutritional ad for both marathon training and recovery. Milk contains 13 essential nutrients, including high-quality protein, making it a crucial component of a training diet. Plus, it's one of the best beverages for hydration, even better than water. The same electrolytes that are added to many of your favorite sports drinks are found naturally in milk. And in 2024, Team Milk is taking the next step to empower female runners by launching the only women's marathon in the U.S. designed for and by women. Built to be accessible, empowering, and community building, the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16, 2024. 
You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. All right, Lauren, it's going to get explosive in here. <laughs> We're going to listen to BTS's Dynamite. Let's go! This is a fascinating track with a lot more going on than I had originally known because I thought this was just riding that disco funk wave, that Dua Lipa kind of sound that we had been hearing. You know, it's got fun house beats. It's got a pop drop. It's got these huge horns. It even has this hilariously over-the-top modulation, which mirrors the explosiveness of the dynamite in the chorus. But I always thought that lyrically this was a really weak song until a colleague of mine helped set the record straight and totally changed my mind. Hi, I'm Asia Romano. I am a culture reporter for Vox, and I recently wrote an article analyzing the BTS song Dynamite, which has been uh, a chart topper the last couple of weeks. A really popular, fun summer bop. The song debuted at number one. It's only the third song in history to do that. This is a big song, and Asia's a real K-pop fan, really knows the genre. And sees Dynamite through a lens that most U.S. listeners are probably missing. So I asked Asia what's significant about this song. A couple of things. It made history because it's the first time a K-pop group has ever reached the number one spot on the Billboard Hot 100, which has been a goal of the band for several years and was really, really treated like a national event in Korea. The the president of the country congratulated them on this achievement. It was a big, big deal and certainly a big deal for the fans of the band. And for the band, this is significant for another reason as well, aside from being nationally celebrated, which is extraordinary. Asia told me that this is a song which is musically consistent with past summer hits from BTS, songs that are airy and breezy and bubbly, kind of like DNA. Or Boy With Love. But the real change here is that they're singing exclusively in English. And this is a band who said that they want to keep their identity true. They want to make music which is authentically Korean. And in fact, there's this ongoing battle between the BTS Army and US Radio because despite being one of the most streamed artists right now, US Radio has been reluctant to carry BTS because it's predominantly in Korean. And so at first glance, it kind of feels like, wait a minute, has BTS caved to that pressure? I want to make very clear that the lyrics were not written by the band. Often the band has considerable creative control and creative input into uh, the songs that they produce. Many of the band members are musicians and producers themselves and have written or co-written songs on their albums. But Dynamite was essentially ordered by the CEO of Columbia Records, who is BTS's U.S. distributor. And he basically tasked UK producer David Stewart and uh, UK songwriter Jessica Agombar to write a song that could be a number one hit for BTS. They were essentially writing to spec. 
I feel like this is a story that so many people get upset about in pop music, right? Like there's some behind the scenes, corporate boardroom manipulation. And maybe that explains the song's totally inane lyrics. They sound like they were algorithmically produced in a kind of a vacuum based on the criteria for what Americans think American pop music should sound like. Right, like the opening lyrics of this, I think, are a shining example. Shoes on, get up in the morn, cup of milk, let's rock and roll. Shoes on, get up in the morn, cup of milk, let's rock and roll. Asia points to this lyric as a surreal echo of the first line of Rebecca Black's notoriously derided song Friday, which became an internet meme. 7 a.m. waking up in the morning, gotta be fresh, gotta go downstairs, gotta have my bowl, gotta have cereal. Asia thinks that this whole thing going on is pretty postmodern. You get this really weird disconnect because you have this idea of what Americana is being refracted through two British people <laughs> handed to who are writing for Korean singers. And you get this idea that there's there's something else at work in these lyrics that's about sort of exploiting and manipulating American perceptions of what Korean singers think American music should be and American images should sound like and how Korean singers would then present that to them. But again, none of this is authentic. It's it's being written to spec by uh, by British people on demand for an American producer. So it's it's very kind of smoke and mirrors-ish. And in the middle of it, you have these, these lyrics that are very, they're very sunny, very fun. I, I, I am in the stars tonight. So watch me bring the fire and set the night alight. Shining through the city. With a little funk and soul, light it up like dynamite. That's the chorus. And it's peppy and fun, but what does it mean? I don't know. (laughs) I don't think any of us know exactly what these lyrics mean. They are, as Asia said, smoke and mirrors. It could be upsetting that BTS has sung a song all in English to get their number one hit. But maybe there's another way of thinking about this. What I said in my article is that Dynamite is a collection of disjointed cliches that are trolling Americans. On the one hand, I'm disappointed because I I feel like BTS's music and their lyrical abilities are so much more powerful and sophisticated and complex than you get a sense of from Dynamite. And that should be more widely recognized. But on the other hand, I'm amused and I'm happy that they made them number one. And I'm amused and delighted that they seem to have trolled the U.S. music industry and beat them at their own game. I'm really glad for Asia's analysis because I think think my first thought was also really liking the idea that America's own, like, nonsense narcissism is, like, becomes a gimmick. (laughs) Because I think we're so used to the narrative going the other way. The, like, Despacito conversation um, with Justin Bieber or thinking about the way Drake likes to, I mean, Drake is Canadian, but the way in which he likes to sort of dip and dabble into various ethnic languages, right? But here we actually get the reverse. It's like playing upon Americans' own... Self-image. Yeah. It's brilliant. Totally. I also just love how it helps me realize how empty and meaningless so many lyrics are within popular music, which is often okay. Like sometimes we just need something silly and fun and there's nothing going on there. Like I actually don't think that that's 
necessarily a bad thing unless you're trying to write a good lyric and it turns out like it's not a good lyric. But here we have someone who's taking that whole cliche and turning it on its head and making, as Asia put it, it's like a song which was commissioned, written by these other songwriters for this producer, then performed by BTS, feels more like some kind of like art pop uh, commentary uh, and I think that the curation and them singing this song and getting a number one hit is a fascinating reflection of where we are at at this particular moment. It's so emblematic not only of how I think a lot of music actually is made today, but also just the way that culture is consumed mm. and interpreted where on Instagram and Twitter and all the apps, just like everybody's, everybody's sort of culture is like side by side in a way that, you know, wasn't possible before the internet, like opened like all these regional borders. So you have Korean influencers sliding next to the Kardashians, next to like Afrobeats artists, next to all these different people. And as a consumer, as a user, it's just all getting sucked in um, and not necessarily differentiated in any um, sort of specific way. And so the idea that, music and culture it goes through all these different channels mm. before it gets to you i think is just a real thing speaking of genres all kind of aligning together you have a i think a really interesting shift to take the conversation with your next pick <laughs> yeah we're going to church again um <laughs> but not quite so uh, the song i have is from Justin Bieber called Holy featuring Chance the Rapper. Oh God, run into the altar like a track star. Can't wait and the second. Cause the way you hold me, hold me, hold me, hold me, hold me, feel so holy. They say we're They've collabed before. I think this is mm-hmm. a sort of unique in the their line of collabs that they like to do every now and then. They've mostly made party songs in the past. Yeah, they usually do like, I mean, I guess the song could be considered fun, but instead of the more sort of R&B or more like poppy or even like uh, sort of like rapish songs that they like to do, I'll call this one gospel inflected pop. And I think yeah. if I say that, I think you kind of know what I mean because that's that's a thing now. Um, and I think it's very, it's very standard chance fair and, Actually, I think something interesting about this song is that you can almost switch their parts and it would still make sense as a song without either artists needing to like stretch too far outside of their comfort zone. So it's like that very like sway and snap R&B or like sway and clap R&B. The lyrics are about God, but they maybe are also about a significant other. I hear a lot about sinners Don't think that I'll be a saint But I might go down to the river Cause the way that the sky opens up when we touch it It's making me say that the way you hold The video for this one, I, I feel compelled to mention just because it's like so odd. Um... <laughs> There's a video for it where Bieber is, he plays an oil rig worker who is suddenly out of work. And then he and his wife are evicted, but like destiny smiles on them in the form of Ulmer Valderrama. And it's 
it's a lot. They're like praying by the table and they're, it's all very earnest and, and heartfelt and all together really matches the song, which I think wants to be, wants to be earnest um, and wants to, you know, evoke a sort of uh, spirituality, if not a strict sort of scripture understanding or interpretation of Christianity, which kind of tracks with both of these artists. I think as we look at the video as well, it has this same issue. It's just like celebrities, what identities is it appropriate to try on? Or the video almost feels like it could have been a commercial, like on this during the Super Bowl or something like that. Like it, that, like oh my that gosh, totally. like, genre of like, whereas I actually think Bieber usually has pretty fun videos i thought like the yummy video was fun i thought like a previous track he was on that chance was on i'm the one like where they're just like at a huge mansion there's just like (laughs) having a ball like i would love to see that because like i can't you know i can't go anywhere um but this like idea of like trying to be relatable thank you so much pop musicians for looking at issues trying to get them trying to represent them. There's still homework to do. With all this, with the holy nature, with this collaboration, with this gospel inflection, with these trying on of identities, how are you feeling about holy right now? I think it's saying that Bieber has, and and Chance has, found something meaningful that is meaningful to them that maybe doesn't necessarily fully translate to others, you took us to one side of the pendulum, a shift towards the holy. I'm going to shift us into a moodier direction. We're going to listen to, as my final pick, 24 Karat Golden's Mood featuring Ian Dior. One way of trying to move past this moment we live in is looking to holy power, something bigger than ourselves. And another way of looking at this moment is also looking inwards and uh, seeing that, hey, sometimes we're not in a good mood. And a song that on one hand feels upbeat and playful, but is really masking these quite honest and clear lyrics about dealing with depression, dealing with romance that isn't going well because people's emotional well-being is not, it's not going well. People playing with toying with each other's hearts. It feels, on one hand, you know, this is a very sort of teenage love song, who broke whose heart kind of a thing. And on the other, sometimes listening to this song actually makes me feel all the feels. It's heavy. Uh, the like, we're trying on love to avoid the depression. We play games of love to avoid the depression. I think it's further heavy because if we look at the charts, you know, emo rap is doing still very well. And this song obviously owes a lot to artists like XXXTentacion, Lil Peep, and Juice World, who currently has three songs on the Hot 100. And of course, uh, Juice World recently passed away. Uh, his song Wishing Well, which is also on the charts right now, uh, points even more directly to depression and issues of uh, drug abuse. Sarah, Sarah. 
So this song for me, I think kind of like the Dua Lipa track does that same thing where it's like, there's some heavy stuff going on. I'm going to put it under a beat that is really fun, but it feels very human in that way, right? Where the only way that we can seem to deal with the heaviness is to try to find some kind of musical levity, try to dance to it. Yeah, the song totally takes me to that, like my my Midwest emo, like sad kid place where you think it's just you, but actually it's just like everyone actually everyone. is like going through it, but we're all going through it alone. Um, kind of like right now <laughs> or like all the time. I appreciate that you look to your moody teenage years with smiles on your face. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, what else can we do? In a lot of ways, that is a more comforting sentiment to hear from an artist and and from musicians than maybe something more cheery or something more rousing. Like sometimes you just want to sit and all you can do is just like sit in your feels and, and just like wallow in it. And I think every, I mean, I think that's what we're doing. We're all wallowing, but I also right. think we also deserve, we deserve to wallow. Yeah. It's like, if someone's just like buck up, you're like, excuse me. <laughs> I'm really not feeling good here, and I appreciate that there's music that's finding ways to channel that. All right, so we said we were going to do a meteorological analysis of what these things point to. Do we see any patterns emerging? I mean, it seems like we have the pattern of the... There are some songs and artists that seem to really tap into the like interior life of of quarantine, Um but not just right. quarantine, but just like life under um, life under a lot of like sort of chaotic pressing matters. And then there's mm. seems to be artists who are kind of trying to reach outside of the self in a way that isn't isn't all the way working or doesn't feel as as close to what people are going through right now. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Like you started with Shawn Mendes and Wonder and. In some ways, that song is about nothing, and yet it helps me feel the most. And a lot of that just has to do with like the arc of how it's built, and in some ways, the sort of openness of its message, rather than trying to be specific and capture somebody else's story, strangely is really working for me right now. Uh, and but I think we're hearing all kinds of approaches to dealing exactly as you said how do we cope and we're hearing it across really different kinds of music we're hearing it in ballads we're hearing it in disco funk we're hearing it in gospel we're hearing it in campfire pop songs and in emo rap it's across the board it feels like it is nice to know that we're all grappling with how to deal with where we're at right now and we're offer and we're being offered a lot of different kinds of solutions. Yeah, and it's also a reminder that no no single genre has a monopoly on on a mood, so to speak. Hmm. Even if you can uh, title your song "Mood," you don't own it. <laughs> 
Switched On Pop is produced by Bridget Armstrong, engineered by Brandon McFarlane, illustrations by Iris Scott Lieb, and social media by Abby Barr. Our executive producers are Nishat Karwa and Liz Kelly Nelson, who are a member of the Vox Media Podcast Network. We're of course hosted by me, Charlie Harding, and Nate Sloan. He wasn't here today. That's because Nate is a brand new dad. It's so exciting. Congratulations, Nate. Congratulations to the entire family. And welcome, baby Sloan. So happy to have you here. While Nate is going to be out for a little while, he's actually pre-produced a really fun little series on what makes anthems so effective. We're talking about the music that you hear when you go to the sports arena, you're in the stadium, and the song you've heard a thousand times, but still it gets you stomping your feet, pumping your fist, yelling out loud with everybody. Things we can't do right now and wish we could, but I think going into the music will help take us there. It's a really fun series. We've got four episodes coming up in two weeks. We'll be back again, of course, next week on Tuesday. Uh, until then, you can find us on any social media platform at Pop, and you can get to us on the web at switchedonpop.com. Until next week, thanks for listening. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Why do you run? Why does anyone I always thought that runners loved running, and that's not the case. Most runners hate running, (laughs) but they choose to do it. In the new docuseries, Running Sucks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. Team Milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys. You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon taking place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16th, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com.